anytime you're disrupting an industry, that means you're probably doing something right. Um, you know, we, we're doing something nobody has done before, and it's really hard. And with that comes a lot of, you know, a lot of friction, both in the industry and also internally as we figure out our process. But it also tells me we're on the right track because um, the bike industry is, is due for change. I used to like grab rocks in our yard and go to the sidewalk and have a sign that said rocks for sale. So I think my mom always knew I was going to start a business. This is the Proco 360 podcast. I'm Dave Tabor hosting Proco 360 because I love Colorado and I love getting to know Colorado's entrepreneurs. My guests have built very successful businesses with team members and collaborators who also love all that Colorado has to offer. Today's episode is with Nick Martin, founder and president of The Pro's Closet. We're joined in studio by my friend Tom Green behind me who raved about The Pro's Closet after buying two mountain bikes from them. That's when I checked out the company and learned that The Pro's Closet is headquartered in Colorado and is the world's largest retailer of certified pre-owned bikes. And these are nice bikes. So just one of the topics we'll cover uh, is this what I consider to be maybe an invented niche for bicycles between new and say Craigslist. So this is a great story of an accidental evolution. Nick was an aspiring pro mountain bike racer who needed to scrape together some money selling parts on eBay and then became the founder of a company that just last May raised $40 million to expand its operations. So Nick, with that intro, thanks for joining me and my friend Tom on Proco 360. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate you having me. Yeah. So, you know, I gave a bit of an intro, but tell us what the pros closet looks like now. Yeah. You summed up really well in saying it's it's quality, premium, pre-owned bikes. So we buy and sell um, premium, pre-owned bikes, most, mostly around 2500 to three thousand dollars is about our average sale price yeah so like yeah. but you know talk about like you've got this this marvelous looking like showroom yeah. you've got a bunch of employees what's the yeah. business look look like well um the bike industry itself is much like the car industry where um you're walking into a dealership you're checking out what's on the sales floor you're buying um, your new bike but there's no um, tool, let's say, in our industry today to bring in your old bike, trade that one up to buy your new bike, and and legitimize the secondhand space for pre-owned bikes. Yeah, so, you know, you say bring in your old bike, but really you're not talking about bringing in your old bike. You're talking about bringing in your used, really nice bike, right? Yeah, right now we are focused definitely on the top of the pyramid, the premium bikes that new would have been around six, $7,000, and you're getting a, a certified pre-owned bike for half of that price, but still with the same guarantee, or if not a better guarantee than you would get from huh. your local bike shop. So, I mean, is it really, I've been on your website and like, I've seen bikes that are like still six and $7,000. Does that yeah. mean that those new would be like $10,000? Exactly. The bike, yeah. the bike industry, the, the, the prices are, are pretty crazy. It's like north of what many people have in their garage for their car. Yeah. 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 Uh, so talk about a little of the backstory yeah. you know there's a there's some things on your website about selling things out of a VW and but I mean what's your backstory on, on getting this business started yeah I'm, I'm very lucky to be here today because um, I never wrote you're business on Proco 360 yeah there you go That's <laughs> I, I never set out to do what we've built today and it has been a series of um, of opportunistic ev the evolution of our of our company and um, the day after I graduated from college I went to school in Wisconsin um, I got in my Volvo and drove to Colorado because I knew that I, I wanted to take some time and just race and go for what I was calling, you know, the dream to race my bike professionally. Um, I lived in my van in, in Grand Junction for about three or four years, and I sold literally everything that I had minus my bus, my bike, 
and the clothes on my back at the mm. time. I was racing for Trek Volkswagen, and we were getting sponsored gear year after season after season, and our sponsors would change. And at the end of the year, I would sell what I wasn't using. Uh, um, yeah. And pretty soon my teammates picked up on that. Um, I didn't have to work because of the the limited income I was making selling my gear. It wasn't like I was rolling in money at the time. I just wanted to be but able to live But you could pay your van. bills selling the used, sponsored, donated yeah. product. Yeah, everything, wow. really everything around us has value, and that's what I latched on to. It's like if it isn't new, if it's not doesn't have value for me, it's going to be new to somebody else. Mm-hmm. So I would capture that and um, pass it on to somebody else, and, and it would still have value. We were getting new stuff, so it was um, still current year product, and, yeah. and there's yeah. a lot of value still in the like the last three or four years. So what did it look like when you actually started a business, right? I mean, it wasn't mm-hmm. a business when you were just selling stuff on eBay. No. I mean, what, what happened that made it turn into a real business? Um, I got married, <laughs> essentially. Like, at the, you know, I was in my late 20s at the time, and, you know, I didn't have the genetics to get it, all, take it all the way to the top. I was like around, you know, like 20th in, in the top North American mountain bikers. It, it, from the racing perspective. From the racing yeah, perspective, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. So to really make money, you need to be in like the top five. Mm-hmm. And um, I realized, you know, I had an opportunity because my garage, at the time I had moved to Boulder um, to be with my wife. At the time, I've since gotten divorced and have a, a, a much better situation. <laughs> my <laughs> okay, new wife. We'll leave it but, at that. <laughs> yeah, we'll leave it at that. But um, it was a great opportunity to shift gears and say, hey, I'm going to go after this. And I had um, a very lucky experience having a team manager that stood up for me in that process. His name was Zap Espinoza. And when I was um, racing professionally and getting free stuff, it wasn't eBay was a four-letter word to be selling your sponsored equipment online. Did not look good for our sponsors. And my um, Zap specifically stood up for me and said, "Hey, you know, he's a struggling mountain biker, and he has he's not selling current year product. And and if he would have squashed." What I was doing at that time, the pros closet never would have gotten to this point. So um, I was able to keep doing it and eventually sell for almost every team you see in the Tour de France and in so, the bikes. Yeah, but at what point did it become like, did you say it was a business, business. versus yeah. just like, okay, I'm making enough money to pay my bills? Right. Um, probably when we start paying taxes, like <laughs> right away. Like once we started, I got yeah. a, my first employee um, uh, and yeah. it just became, an, it was a, a very organic growth for us where what would you say your revenue was at the time when you took on an employee um probably about a million dollars really yeah you're doing a million dollars with no employees yeah and the margins must have been enormous because this stuff was all given to you right well at the the time i was i was not given a million dollars worth of sponsorship gear that would have been awesome yeah Um, i was at the time i was um selling on consignment so i had no Uh, i had no um overhead per se but still a million dollars in revenue with no employees that's pretty amazing even if your margins are 20 percent, that's yeah. pretty okay yeah i mean that's top line but yeah it was sure. it was it was good yeah and, that's amazing yeah. so so now switching gears i mean mm-hmm. you've evolved and evolved and evolved what's pros closet look like now as far as how many employees you have yeah. how much volume you do that kind of thing yeah well i just got off of a four-month sabbatical my first vacation in 15 years so the numbers wow. like the business is accelerating fast so these numbers could have changed and <laughs> I'm, this is literally my third day back in the office so i'm 
still settling in, but we're somewhere around like 130 to 150 employees. Mm. And our warehouse is about 150,000 square feet. And we're on track wow. to sell about 25,000 bikes this year. 25,000? So 25,000. So you've got to, every, every one of those bikes comes in and you've got to refurbish them, yeah. do whatever it takes to certify them as in beautiful working condition, right? Yeah. So describe your this room that in which that happens. Yeah, the, that's like the central nerve center of our yeah. business. It's like literally the secret sauce of what makes our business unique and makes it hard to to duplicate what we do. It's a very bikes are very complex, right? They're very technical. Um, there's a lot of moving parts. There's a lot of variation, and we are selling essentially snowflakes. Not there's no two bikes mm -hmm. that come through our process that are the same. Yeah. So if we were building like a Model T assembly line, it would be really easy to stamp out the same thing over and over and over again. But we're dealing with um, you know bikes from three, four, or five seasons ago that have different components on them that mm -hmm. are um, meant for different purposes. And it takes a very technical expertise to be able to certify that yeah. bike. So what's the cost? So you've got technicians that have to do this. Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, obviously you got some cost in that. I mean, does mm -hmm. it take generally, obviously it ranges, but you're looking at four or five hours, 10 hours, how much work, you know, on an average bike are you looking at to turn it around? Yeah. I mean, it, it, we, since we're on the premium side of things, yeah. um, you know, it, it can, it can vary. I look. I say like you have a um, you have like a polished Porsche that's garage kept versus a Subaru that might have a bunch of Cheerios in the back seat. Hmm. You know the bikes that we're buying are at the high end of the pyramid, so yeah, generally yeah. they've been more taken care of. So, mm -hmm. and we're also very selective in what we buy. Um, so it okay, takes about so? about an about two hours of mechanics really? work yeah. to like totally bring well, it up. Well, that's not speed. bad. Yeah. No. yeah. So now let's talk a little bit more about this niche. And by the way, listeners, this is Proco 360, named Best Denver Podcast, three years running, and this year named Best Colorado Business Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Tabor, and this is the podcast featuring entrepreneurs who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. My guest today is Nick Martin of the Pros Closet. Thanks to our sponsors, First Bank, Kinsley Meetings, Via Technologies, and Digital Frontier Printing. And quick shout out to my friends, Clint and Jared at Via Technology. They're doing a lot of things to help me keep Proco 360 running fast and responsively on the web. Thanks, too, to the Colorado Chamber of Commerce for its support for me and Proco 360. Let's talk a little bit more, Nick, about um, this niche between new and what I will call sort of this uncertain used bike that you could get on Craigslist. You know, it seems, and you mentioned the car parallel, that's kind of what it, what it seems like to me, that you're selling not just a great bike, but also sort of trust. Yeah. Absolutely. A trust, that's a cornerstone of our business. Like when you put a certification stamp on it, you're saying we're going to stand behind this product. Um, if you were to buy a new bike at a bike shop, go ride that bike and come back to the bike shop and say, this bike isn't right for me. That's a used bike. You can't just mm -hmm. return that bike to that bike shop. For us, you can return it within 30 days. Um, and then we also go through and check every single part of that bike to make sure it's within our quality spec. Um, and we have experts, like real expertise that are yeah. that are working and wrenching on these. And on your website for every single bike, yeah. there's like a little graphic that shows five different characteristics and you rate them from right. seven to 10, which I think is a very interesting nuance mm -hmm. that you don't go from zero to 10 and you could probably speak to that better than I could. Yeah, we don't buy anything that's lower than six, you know, or even really seven. So again, very premium and we're very selective. We Our, our inventory, I would say, is curated. Yeah. Now, I, I, on your website, you've got a video with raving fans. Mm. So I'm guessing that there's not a lot of occurrences where you say something is an, an eight or a nine, the frame's a nine, the whatever other componentry is a 10 or a seven, or that customers get a product and say, mm, nope. 
yeah, it's it's generally the opposite. And they're usually like, wow, this is in much better shape mm. than I was expecting. Yeah, because you do have raving customers. I yeah. mean, raving customers. It's it's pretty amazing, right? Like it's, um, yeah, to be able to buy a premium high-end bike online today, get it shipped to your door and be able to build that up in less than five minutes if you have zero mechanical expertise is, yeah. is something nobody else is doing. It's a pretty cool niche. Um, what, you know, when we're talking seriously, you mentioned pricing and and I was on the site, I looked at a bunch of bikes, I'm shot, you know, I was like, maybe I should get one. These are pretty cool looking. Yeah. But um, they didn't seem that much cheaper than a new bike, but maybe that's because I'm out of touch with the pricing of bikes. I mean, really, what do you save if you get, say, a three-year-old, really good condition bike that would have been ten thousand? What am I gonna? What would it cost at Pro's Closet? Um, it, you know, it varies, make, model. Yeah, all, sure. All, it, it all varies, but let's say it's ten thousand dollars. We'll probably be selling that between like around fifty-five hundred dollars. And and okay, that's a pretty substantial savings. Yeah. And versus, you know, what might I pay on Craigslist? Four grand or something for something I have no idea about? Yeah, and then you're meeting, you have no guarantee. You're meeting in yeah. a parking lot with a wad of cash, yeah. and it's, it's kind of a sketchy situation. Yeah, so somebody who wants to spend 5000 bucks for a bike might I mean, I, I could see where I'd want to buy it from you rather than some sketchy, uncertain scenario because you're guaranteeing yeah. it for me the other thing you have it that i found is quite interesting is a and i'm not well, i don't want to sound like a commercial mm -hmm. it's just impressive that you've got this 18 month buyback thing yeah talk about that totally anytime you buy a bike from us we're guaranteeing that we will buy that bike back from you in the event that you decide you want something else and trade so it back that's and, and on your website you even have a schedule like this is how much we'll pay you back for your bike that we buy which is super cool like yeah. in advance the thing i wondered though like even harder than cars mm -hmm. People pound their mountain bikes. Right. They pound them. Yep. So how do you how do you give a customer certainty that what they're getting hasn't been like pounded out of its natural life? <laughs> and most bikes are made out of carbon today too. So yeah. You're taking so I, I mean, you can inspect for a crack, kind of, but you don't put it in like a MRI chamber or whatever. Well, we have this like it's a decibel hammer, and we can hit it and tell if it's it's affected the integrity of the of the frame wow so so those are those are the kind of things the guarantee you know that you wouldn't get from the craigslist purchase yeah on, on. so now you mentioned you're you're in the high end of bikes and i know that technology changes like all the time and i don't even i don't have a bunch of it on my bike tom behind mm -hmm. me does but the, things like dropper posts i mean you've got wheel size changes electronic yeah. shifters you got geometry changes so do you find I know your customers can change out their bikes every year or 18 months or whatever yeah. bike going through, but are many people really doing that or are they, you know, is your typical customer just wanting to buy a used bike and keeping it for a while? Um, I, you know, every about two to three years, people generally trade up to get the new technology mm -hmm. because right now the technology is evolving really fast. I've gotten so used to riding a seat shop dropper. There's mm -hmm. no way I would ride a bike yeah. without one anymore because I've become so used to it. And I bet Tom probably would say the same. It's, it's one of those things that, um, because it's such a technical sport, people trade up and get the next latest and greatest thing because it does make the riding experience better. So what does that make the people buying those used bikes? Just um, yeah. just sort of like they don't care quite as much. They want something nice, but they just don't care about the latest stuff. They'd rather save some money. It, well, there's value in saving in, yeah. the, in saving that. But, and you're also getting, you know, still it's a really, really good bike. A bike that's two years old is still a fantastic yeah. Yeah platform so what do you do because i'm familiar with some of the customization that goes on to bikes and yeah. at some point people will buy their own frame they'll buy every component separately they'll mm -hmm. put them all together themselves I mean, how can you possibly manage 
can you take those kind of bikes in and like turn them around and sell them to somebody else when it's like a mishmash of high-end parts oh yeah we that's what we do every day so oh. those bikes <laughs> like we're 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 listing every single component that is on that bike so very transparent process you know exactly the length of the cranks and the length of the stem wow. and down to that yeah, level yeah, of yeah. detail so if it is totally customized like i said every bike is different mm -hmm. that's okay yeah so I, I gotta ask this too um, Bike Magazine described your business as a growing disruptive force in the high-end bike industry. So first, what does that mean to you? Um, it's a compliment. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, anytime you're disrupting an industry, that means you're probably doing something right. Um, you know, we, we're doing something nobody has done before, and it's really hard. And with that comes a lot of, you know, a lot of friction, both in the industry and also internally as we figure out our process. But it also tells me we're on the right track because um, the bike industry is is due for change. Well, do they, like a high-end bike manufacturer, do, do they not like you or retailers? Do they not like you because essentially you're you're sort of slowing the velocity of new product sales? Um, you could look at it that way. I have, I have a sign in my office that reminds me, it says, make the industry stronger. And what that means is we have to be a tool in everybody's toolbox to help the industry do business better. And we do that by offering the retailers trade-up programs so their customers can come in and, mm. and monetize what's in their garage. Really? So retailers are partnering with you? Yeah. Yeah. Just like look at the car industry and you can walk in and chain, trade up your car. You can do that. To Yeah, but you're a third party. You're not like yeah. part of a dealership. But yeah. they partner with you to become their arm of used product? Exactly. They have a portal. Huh. They have a trade-up portal. Um, they can submit the bike for the customer, and we make an offer um, wow. right away. And then that customer can apply that credit towards the purchase of their new bike. Immediately. Immediately. So they could walk into, I could walk into a retailer for a new bike. They would assess my, or you, you would, they would upload product information or whatever. You'd yeah. get an offer, and that becomes used against my brand new bike all within the same hour or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, wow. certain certain That's manufacturers. Super cool. That's like, really cool. Yep. So now, this business obviously, I'm shifting gears a little bit because the last couple of years with COVID have been crazy. Mm -hmm. All the stories about like nobody has bikes, you can't get bikes, and all that. And your business, uh, from what I what I could find, has grown about five times in revenue over that period of time. And so, how much without COVID, without this demand, the crazy extra demand from COVID, how much do you think you would have grown? You know, we've been on that on that. You know trajectory yeah know, even before covid so i think we we're we're very lucky to continue that trajectory through this time um but it, you know it's it's tough to say we've had a tailwind because we have supply we, we have you know over 600 to 1000 bikes on our website still, at any given yeah. time still even even in the heart when nobody could find bikes in stores you still had inventory yep why because we're tapping into everyone's garage instead of waiting <laughs> on a supply chain from taiwan you know, we're tapping into the secondhand market that nobody yeah. else is tapping into. So what about marketing? Like, what are you doing aside from like your website, which has great videos and all that? Uh, I know you've got some social media. What are you doing to actually reach your customers? Yeah, it's, um, we, we're 15 years young right now. And for like the first 10 years, we didn't spend a dollar on marketing. It was 100% through word of mouth. Um, and that word of mouth had given a, give a, gave us the opportunity to figure out, you know, how to make that sausage instead of having to figure out the marketing, you know, vortex that I wasn't really great at. Yeah. So today we've finally built out a really robust marketing team and we're we're building out content so that we can educate our customers on what to look for and how to find the right bike. Hmm. So our, we're yeah. taking the, the content angle in terms of how we're marketing to our customers. You know, it's kind of, I would think just intuitively, it's easier to reach 
the kind of enthusiast audience that you have now yeah. than it would be, you know, customers who want a $1,500 bike, yeah. right? I mean, it's just a tighter niche, better, easier to reach. And, and then I noticed too on your website, you've got some really enthusiastic employees whom you feature, mm-hmm. right? I mean, to what extent do they play a role in your ability to reach your customer? Yeah, great, great question. It's, you know, it's a very passionate community both internally and externally. Our customers are very passionate about bikes. They take them to great places. And with that, our, our, our employees are also very passionate about bikes. And um, to be able to certify all makes and models across all years, you need to have been in the industry or known bikes for a long time yeah. and touched a lot of bikes. So really, you're, I'm sure some of your techs are more experienced than others, but the really experienced ones, they when they see a what I called earlier a mishmash of components, there's probably a better word for that, right? What would you call it a... Yeah, mishmash is pretty good. All right, yeah, all right. I'll take that. So when they see that, they kind of get what's going on uh, in that bike, right? I mean, if it doesn't, if it's not compatible, we will change it. Really? Yeah. Because people probably do that, right? They build stuff that shouldn't have been built that way. Yeah. Or they're like, hey, I'm going to sell my bike to the pros closet. I'm going to swap something out because I really want this piece. So we get something. We're like, hey, this isn't supposed to be together. And that's yeah. the expertise that we we guarantee on every bike we process. Oh, that's cool. Um, now I got okay. This is this is a question I'm really curious. Kind of a dark curiosity question and that is with such strong demand for bikes now and you know you're reaching a nice niche who appreciates you isn't it wouldn't it be like super tempting to like charge a bunch more mm-hmm. um you know for for product because there's such little supply and you've got a really nice offering like how do you balance that well I, yeah pricing is always um a delicate like balance of supply and demand yeah right and um our sell-through rate today is about six average about six days on the website mm. so we must be doing a good job pricing things because they're moving quickly and people are willing to pay so for you it. keep an average bike sits in your inventory for six days about six to seven days wow. yeah and then we're also guaranteeing to buy that back so you can look at it as like it's almost like a lease of sorts where you're like okay well i'm paying this much to own this bike right now but i always am guaranteed to get x back from it yeah um, and, uh, it, you know, the shipping, it seems like you got that figured out. You know yeah. how to ship it so customer can essentially zip, 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 you know, yeah. do a few things and it's ready to ride. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I always joke with the marketing team that I want to make a video of my my grandma unboxing a bike <laughs> to really show how easy it is. And no offense to my grandma, Didi, but she's never worked on a bike yeah. before. And I know Why that don't she you could, do that? Uh, we should, I know. I'm going to be, or, or me. I'm probably less capable than your grandma. Yeah, so, <laughs> well, so. it's, it's something that you might have to look out for. I'll make sure to send yeah. it to you. All right. Um, now, All right, switching gears, but first I want to remind listeners, this is Proco 360. I'm your host, Dave Tabor, and this is the show featuring entrepreneurs who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. This episode is with Nick Martin of the Pros Closet. Go to Proco360.com to subscribe to the newsletter, read my blog, link to sponsors, and catch the books I'm listening to on Audible. So yeah, I want to switch gears a little bit because uh, you raised a ton of money. Mm. I mean, uh, it wasn't even your first round, uh, but this round you raised $40 million to expand um that's a lot and yeah. are you worried at some point that you know your investors like the demand from covid is ma- is massive that early ramp up period for a new company mm-hmm. you know we've all seen it small companies can grow way way fast but now you got 40 million dollars and you've got investors saying keep going yeah. right does that worry you um i mean i would be lying if i say it didn't worry me but it's also exciting we have you know we have the the wood to chop so we can, you know, we can invest in the things we need to to build a moat around the business and yeah. keep accelerating this growth. Yeah, because I actually, you know, this is the first time we talked about this, this moat around the business, the idea of protecting from competition. Yeah. Um, you mentioned earlier, though, that building that 
you know, the the infrastructure to service the bikes, to get the techs. I mean, that's hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's people, process, and equipment. Yeah. And if you don't do it right, you end up with unhappy customers, I would think, and all kinds of crap happens. Yeah. You, you, yeah. We, we always say in our, in our executive meetings, like, beware of the shiny objects. We have a, a little stuffed squirrel in our conference room that we throw at each other when people get off track and we stay really focused and do, you know, one thing at a time really well and keep building on that foundation. Yeah. And I, I would think, you know, one bad bike, one bike that doesn't get the right amount of attention, man, that's, that would, that would hurt. Well, you have the opportunity to, to service that customer and make, you know, Mistakes are opportunities. Yeah. We learn from them. As long as we have um, a great loop from our customer service department back to our operations team so that we can adjust and stay on track, we'll continue We'll continue to succeed. We're going to make mistakes. They're, they're used bikes. You know, there's things you don't always see, but we always stand behind what we sell and make it right with the customer. So if I bought a bike from you, got it, I'm like, man, this doesn't feel right, but I could send it back. Yep. Um, if there was something wrong with it, you would pay the shipping. Yep. And then you'd send me something else if I wanted. Or refund you. Whatever. If we didn't have the right bike. Yeah. Cool. Now, by the way, what are you doing with $40 million? You mentioned some vague kinds of stuff, but really, what are you doing? $40 million, a lot of money. Yeah. Like I said, people process and equipment. So we're investing, you know, it's not cheap to have over a hundred employees, you know, in a warehouse uh-huh. that's 150,000 square feet in Colorado, you know, that's expensive. And also our average sale price is north of $3,000. So it takes a lot of capital to be able to um, acquire the inventory at scale. And that's also, that's part of that moat. It's like someone, yeah. there's very few companies that can have, uh, you know, a thousand, three thousand yeah, dollar bikes yeah, on their website yeah. at any given time. Yeah. So actually, yeah, I mean, the faster you scale, the better you can become recognized as the go to only place. Yep. And uh, the trusted, yeah. So since you're the first, now you can protect yourselves as not only the best, but the really the preferred. Exactly. That's cool. Yeah. Now, you mentioned Colorado. I know you started Pro's Closet because you were here, you lived right. here. Um, what though, you know, what benefits are you, obviously you mentioned some things are expensive here, but what benefits yeah. have you seen from being here? Yeah. With, if we didn't start this business in Boulder, Colorado, it, we, we never would, would be here today. So, you know, Boulder, you, you go out and you see, you know, bike after bike, after bike, after bike, and it's a cycling community. And, and we were um, lucky enough to grow organically in Boulder through word of mouth because of the cycling community here. Yeah. Now going forward, I know you used to have a showroom that was open to customers. Now right. you don't. Now you're really. But I mean, the trend seems to be for high-end brands that are online to start creating physical presence. Correct. Are you yeah. planning that? Absolutely. It's um, the idea of having a retail destination where you can go in and just drop your bike off or pick up your new bike yeah. and not have to put it in a box or mm-hmm. and ship it to us or unbox it um, adds a lot of value and we're also testing courier services to, in the in the Colorado Denver area oh, cool. to go to your door and pick it up or well, drop uh, it off oh that's really cool yeah. so you're talking about Denver but I mean I could see other cities where there are a number of high-end bike enthusiasts that yeah. love going in and seeing things happen. Yeah, you might want to get your suspension set up and get the seat adjusted and just have someone walk you through the, you know, mm. we have ride guides that you can call and talk to on the phone, but sometimes that you can't you can't um, replace that face-to-face yeah, interaction. Yeah. Well, now, um, I noticed that the name The Pro's Closet is not The Bicycle Pro's Closet. Yeah. And... That might have been an accident when you started it, but come on, you got $40 million raised. It makes me think that the pros closet might be more than bikes in the future. And so listeners, just pause for a second. Let's brainstorm. What else is shippable, expensive enough to want used, have nice margin? Um, I tried to think about things like ice skates and golf clubs, 
but there are already markets for those things. And you're kind of grinning. I mean, there yeah. must be something. You and John Levesey, who's the, the uh, Pro's Closet CEO now, you must be contemplating some other things. Yeah, I, John always says you have to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. So you're always thinking about other things and not just like we're going to keep doing the same thing over and over again. You have yeah. to like, you know, grow the ocean and catch more fish. But we also stay focused, try to stay narrow, narrowly focused on what we do best. And what we do best is selling certified pre-owned bikes at a, you know, at a high price point. And there's still a lot of opportunity yeah. Yeah. today. But we are, you know, we look at other industries all the time and um, we're not putting ourselves in a corner. Yeah. But um, it's too early to tell. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't expect a straight answer on that because whatever you guys are brewing up behind the scenes, yeah. you know, I know it has to stay there. But I, it is intriguing uh, to me that there are other other opportunities that I think will be kind of fun to watch. Yeah. So um, yeah. now thinking back to, you know, when you started, I mean, did you ever think you were going to be an entrepreneur? I'm, I'm, I'm a numbers person. And I've always like figured out my own path. And, um, I never looked to start a business, never wrote a business mm. plan, but I couldn't s see myself working, working for somebody else. It but was always early when you were younger, you, the same thing. You I was see selling yourself? rocks on the side of the street when I was what do you mean, <laughs> selling rocks. What, I would, I used to like grab rocks in our yard and go to the sidewalk <laughs> and have a sign that said rocks for sale. So I think my mom always knew I was going to start a business. Really? Did you yeah. make money doing that I, from my mom? Maybe. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Really? So what did you say? Okay. So what did you do entrepreneurially between selling rocks and starting the pros closet? Oh man. Um, you, you know, I was, I straight out of college, I started the business. So, you know, through college it was traveling. I just traveled a lot and rode my bike everywhere I could. And, um, I was just like, how can I prolong that lifestyle as long as possible? So you never had a job. This is my first job. Wow. I don't, I've never written a resume. Wow. I don't, I don't use LinkedIn or don't, I mean, I have a LinkedIn account, but I don't. So you never work. had a job. So where have you learned about, you know, how to be an entrepreneur, how to have a business and how to run a business? By doing it. It's, I think it's the only, I mean, I went to business school. I got a business degree, yeah. but I never, what I've, what I'm applying day to day is a constant reflection of making mistakes, adjusting, asking, surrounding yourself with people that are smarter than you that have, have gone down the path before. Um, I think it's about being very aware of yourself and your strengths and, and also being humble enough to bring people into the fold and not try to hold yeah. on too tight. Did you, um, so it sounds like maybe the organic growth of the pros closet sort of lent itself to a guy who'd never had a job and never run a business. You yeah. could kind of grow into what you were doing. hundred percent. Absolutely. If if we would be at the scale we are today with my experiences, even five years ago, we would have failed. Um, and I was lucky enough to be able to have that education for the last 15 years and continue to have that education. Wow. So now, now your role has changed. Talk about that. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm trying to figure out what it means to be a founder. That's my, my current, <laughs> I'm, I'm the chief brand officer right now of the mm. Pros Closet. Um, handed off the reins to John Levesay, who is the CEO of Craftsy, um, which rebranded as Blueprint. And he was on our board of directors before that. Um, and um, I'm figuring, I'm figuring it out. I'm, I'm learning again. I'm, I've been comfortable being uncomfortable is something I say a lot. And I'm, I'm, I'm learning what this new role will look like, um, but continuing to be an ambassador for our business. And and grow our culture. What I mean, was that a hard decision for you to say, okay, I'm going to go from being CEO to being founder and chief brand officer? I, I would be lying if I said it was an easy decision. Um, it was an emotional roller coaster, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. 
You feel good about it now? 100%. Yeah. I mean, to be in um, a place where your business continues, continues to accelerate and you have investors that believe in you and customers that believe in you, um, it's a very privileged opportunity to be driving you know this opportunity forward yeah that's cool you still do you maybe get to ride your bike more i do and um, my son james is three and he's ecstatic about riding bikes so i i smell a lot more flowers and look at insects yeah. and stop a lot on the side of the trail but i'm on my bike more my my relationship with the bike has changed quite a bit over the last 15 years well, i think that's a good note to to end on so i'm going to cool. wrap up I'm your host, Dave Tabor. Today on Proco 360, you've been listening to my conversation with Nick Martin, founder of The Pros Closet. Thanks, Nick. Enjoyed it. And thanks for digging deep on some of those things at the end. Yeah, of course. I thank you. I appreciate it. Listeners, glad you're here on Proco 360, where we say live, work, love Colorado, because you and I and my guests can be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. You make the show successful by subscribing to the Proco 360 podcast. And if you haven't yet, it's a huge help if you'll submit a review in your app. Thanks again to show sponsors, First Bank, Kinsley Meetings, Via Technologies, Digital Frontier Printing, and the Colorado Chamber of Commerce. Thanks to our friend Russ here, my sound engineer at Side 3. That's the show. Live, work, love, Colorado.